What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Jaw Raps, of course. We got Jays, we got him for days. Josh, how are you doing? I think it might just be time to give up on trying to understand what's happening this season. Because last night was one of those nights, and not the first one, where you just look at the scores and look at what is developing in the games I was watching, and it just doesn't make sense. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun. There's so much parody. But I just have no clue what's actually going to happen from night to night. More than, of course, there's always you know the unpredictability. But I feel like this is an exceptionally wacky year. Yeah, you might be. There are some end results that are that are surprising. I feel like at some point every year, like right when conference play starts, we realize how relatively predictable non-conference play is because there are so many games that are. It's either you're playing a team that okay, you 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 should beat that team. That's a bye game, or you're playing a, a highly anticipated non-conference game for for those high major teams and you're expecting anything to a certain extent mm-hmm. and when you get into opposing teams buildings against teams you play you know once if not twice every single year and it just starts to mean a little bit more even if it's subconscious i feel like these things can be can be a little a little less predictable. I mean, if, if, if nothing else, I think every top 25 team that was on the road, um, lost to a team that they were playing that is not ranked. First of all, how Providence isn't ranked. I got no freaking idea, but they will be as long. I mean, they should probably be ranked even if they lose whoever they play this weekend, St. John's at home. I'm guessing they're not going to let the Johnnies come into the Duncan one anyways, but Miami loses uh, on the road to Georgia tech. UConn loses on the road to Providence and any team, any top 25 team that got a win at home was playing a top 25 team. Um, like Arkansas beat Missouri. I mean, what I don't know what happened to Duke, but they lost about seven seconds into that basketball game. <laughs> yeah. Georgia beat Auburn. Um, Iowa State did get a road, get a road win over Oklahoma, but that game was up in the air for a long time. And um, but yeah, it is. It, it, I think I think I get to this point at some point every single non I mean conference play like right in the first like couple weeks that, oh, right, this is really where the parody of college basketball comes from in general. But I think you're right that this year there's some, well, what in the world is happening? Is anybody good? Are we sure? That kind of thing. And especially in some of the conferences in particular of just, I mean, maybe you thought you had some things figured out, but the ACC is a mess. The Big Ten is a mess. Mm -hmm. It's just, I'm almost wondering if, we just got all of our V picks wrong already. Now it's too early to go, you know, change them again. But just the idea of even the last week or so since we did that has changed things a little bit. Sure. I'm 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 holding out faith, and we're going to sure. talk about some of those ACC teams <laughs> later in the pod. But um, there are still teams lurking. I still don't. I, I don't feel horrible. There's one conference that I feel especially good about at this point. Um, but I think, but it would it wouldn't be right if we get, went through conference play just patting ourselves on the back because we got our redrafts right. right. Why why it's, why be wrong once when you can be wrong twice? Yeah. It's it's too early to to worry about any of that. But it's just you would like some you know sort of confirmation that your theories were correct, and we have not gotten that. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunately the norm rather than the exception to the rule. But we're going to try to put some sense to what we've seen the last 10 days or so since Christmas, since conference play really getting into full swing uh, by way of a panic meter and try to decipher how much these things matter in terms of what we know about those teams and their long-term goals, what we know about those teams and who they are on the floor versus what we thought they were on the floor uh, and use the panic meter to try and discuss some teams. Uh, We've got four panic categories, if you will. Um, On the very wrong end of the spectrum, you have the hit the panic button, just eject, you know, the, the, 
you cannot control the plane any longer. Like, let's hit the big red button. There's nothing else that you can do other than eject. Um, you are who you are, which I'm interested to see where you go with this one. Um, because I, there was a team that I thought slid into this category quickly for me. So I'm curious where you went there. I'm not worried yet. And then life is good. Sunshine and rainbows. And let's just say that the teams, I, the, I have two teams here. Um, and let's just say that I didn't think I'd be putting this team in a category. These two teams in a category labeled life is good at any point this season. So let's hop into the panic meter. We'll start with, let's start with the, the veggies and go to, and go to the, the dessert. Let's start on the bad end and move in the right direction, if you will. And, um, and just kind of go from there. So, Starting in the hit the panic button spot. Mr. Doring, would you like to go first? Or would you like me to? You can lead us off. All righty. I'm starting with Notre Dame. It's time to hit the, the, the panic button, South Bend. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me break it down for you, if, if you would be so kind as to allow me to. Um, Notre Dame's 8-7. and 8-7 seven. and seven on the year. 0-4 in conference play. And and I think something that's going to come up plenty in this pod, I think, is taking into consideration who teams have played in conference play thus far. Um, there are some teams that have really been put through the gauntlet at this point in their conference schedule, which might lend you to, okay, I'm not too worried yet. It's not time to panic, so on and so forth. Um, Notre Dame is 0-4, and they've played a bad conference schedule so far. They're 0-4 with losses to... Syracuse, Florida State, Miami, and Boston College. Miami, good team. You lose to them at home. You lose to them at Miami, not a big deal. Um, the other three are outside the top 90 at Kim Palm right now. Florida State has been in the conversation with Louisville, you know, and it's kind of separated themselves a little bit just because of how bad Louisville is, not because of how good Florida State has been recently. Um, but that team was in the conversation of like, oh my gosh, what is going on in Tallahassee? Um, Syracuse, 92nd at Kempom right now, off to a decent start in conference play at three and one, um, but 10 and five and losses to Colgate, St. John's, Bryant and Pitt. Um, so not exactly a high quality basketball team at Syracuse this year. And and then Boston College, which is, you know, I keep waiting for and Boston College has had some injuries this year, but I just keep waiting for Boston College to really be a big deal uh, to really kind of be that like sneaky, like, Oh, that team is 62nd at Kempom. Nice. Uh, not this year, 169th at Kempom, eight and seven, uh, lost to New Hampshire, lost to Tarleton state, a loss to Maine. Maine was 300th at Kempom at the time. Um, not, not also not a good basketball team. So um, Notre Dame is genuinely one of the worst power five defenses in the entire country. Um they started 41st at Kempom in general. They're all the way down to 118 at this point, which is really impressive because their conference schedule, their non-conference schedule was it, it had some tough ones because they kept getting roped into these interconference matchups, and they had some good ones, but it wasn't like a complete gauntlet. Like they have an 18-point win over Michigan State, and they still have managed. They, they've now lost five of the last six. They've fallen to 118th. They're 220th in the country in defensive efficiency. Um, they don't turn the ball over. To, they don't turn teams over whatsoever. 360th in the country in that category. Teams are shooting. Um, teams are getting to the free throw line against them. They're shooting it well against them. Um, they're outside the top 103 point field goal defense. Outside, just inside the top 300 in two point field goal defense. Their defense is non-existent. Their offense, while while good, 58th in the country, is certainly nowhere near as good as it would need to be to even kind of offset how bad their defense has been. So, sorry, Mike Bray. It's time to hit that panic button. I don't know really where you go from here. You got a lot of guys that are fun to watch offensively. Dane Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, J.J. Starling has had his moments, but there are just massive, massive drive a Mack truck through these holes, holes in that, in that roster. And I'm not really sure where you go next, considering your own four in conference play. And you've played three of the five worst teams in the conference at this point. And uh, that's a tough place to be. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about most of this before and the idea that 
you were supposed to be able to build off of last season when things got a little bit better. And Mm -hmm. as you just laid out in great detail, that did not happen. I don't really have too much to add other than I just, I never thought it would come to this point, but I'm wondering if it's just time for both sides to hit the reset button by just parting ways here. Mm. I still have faith in Mike Bray. I still have faith in Notre Dame program, obviously, but those two things together are just not working. And I was convinced they were going to be much better than they are. That's a, that's a good call on your part. Who is, who's hitting the eject button for you, Mr. Roaring? Yeah. Uh, Georgetown. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't really need to explain it too much because they have zero high major wins. Since like, since like the first Obama administration, it's been like, yeah, at least in the big East. (laughs) Yeah. And I saw, I think Patrick Ewing said something about after the demolition at the hands of Butler that, you know, this isn't last season's team. It's a four game losing streak. He can say that stuff all he wants. That four game losing streak included losses to Butler and DePaul. Mm -hmm. Who are, listen, I'm not, I'm not here for any, any slander of the Bulldogs. Okay. All right. Choose your words, choose your words carefully here. (laughs) Just kidding. Just, you know, when you're talking about trying to avoid the bottom of the Big East, those are the kind of teams you need to be beating. Right. At least at home. Especially at home. Yeah. And Butler ran them out of the building. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I mean, right, none of this is new. This was all happening last season too. But to me, that's the point that this, you talked about how fascinating this collection of players was, how different this collection of players was. This was supposed to be, not that they were supposed to go you know, back to the NCAA tournament or something, but they were supposed to be way better than this. They're just, I still believe that too. I still believe that this roster is better than on paper than the product they put on the floor. Oh yeah. I mean, it it basically has to be right. They just can't be much worse than they have been. And yet it just kind of continues. Mm -hmm. Patrick Ewing is still there. And at this point, I mean, you're not trying to save this season, so you might as well just ride it out and, if you're going to make your coaching change, make it at the end of the season. I don't see any point in making a change now. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just hard to believe where the Georgetown program is at. Can, can I ask you a question? Is, is Patrick Ewing the best player ever to coach at the school that he played college basketball at? Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> in, like, like in terms of their college career, is anybody been as good at their college and then returned to coach that basketball team as Patrick Ewing? I certainly can't think of anybody off the top of my head, especially in terms of college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, college specific. Because the point yeah. I'm getting to is Ewing has said over and over again that he's not resigning. Like, that's not going to happen. So I'm I'm curious, like, at, at what point do you just have to say, Patrick, I'm really sorry, but, like, this is bad. This has got to stop. And mm-hmm. at, while you are the most important player to ever play at Georgetown, we've got to move on. And and we hope you understand that as someone who is ultimately a you know supporter of the program, whether you're the head coach of it or not. Um, but it seems like I mean, if 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 his name, the point is, if his name was anything else, yeah, he would have been gone two years ago. And and maybe the plan was to fire him after the year that they miraculously went to the tournament. And I mean, after that happens, you're like you can't fire that coach especially when it's patrick ewing yeah so maybe they've just gotten unlucky as as unlucky as a Big East tournament title can be <laughs> um but that last year happened right um so i uh, so i don't know I, I i i am curious to see how long that cat and mouse game goes before they actually pull the trigger because if it was anybody else it would have happened like it might have happened in season already or happened oh, yeah. in season mm-hmm. last year yeah. Um, if not in, in the off season before this year started. Mm-hmm. Okie dokie. Moving forward. The you are who you are category. You know, I spent, a, I spent like three minutes trying to come up with fun names for these categories. Like, like what does that actually mean? I could, I, I felt like there was potential with you are who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, we can make some pop culture reference there. I couldn't come up with anything creative enough that i'd like to share it on the podcast but um the are who you are category i'm gonna let you go first this time 
Who is your you are who you are team? Marquette. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I took this in a I took this in a different, more positive angle. Cool. Cool, cool. Marquette is not who I thought Marquette was, but Marquette is at this point who Marquette is. 12-4, in Big East play. 100%. The kind of team that wins at Villanova by scoring 68 points and then wins at St. John's 96 to 85. Mm-hmm. They are not great defensively, but they are way better than I ever thought they would be offensively. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're good defensively. It just kind of depends on the day. So that's really where I thought of them for this category is I feel like I know exactly who this team is now. You don't know what you're getting from game to game. Sometimes they can put the clamps on you. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they can push 100 points. But they're a a very efficient offensive team, one of the better offensive teams in the country. You know you have your defensive principles because it's Shaka Smart. You know Mm -hmm. they're going to play hard. They're spacing the floor. Tower Kolek has been really good oh he's like on the short list of my favorite players in the country this year he's he's so he is anybody who's averaging nine and seven as a point guard is just my (laughs) kind of point guard 100 percent. it just is all working in a very different way than last season and 14th in the country in assist rate by the way yeah yeah they are set up for success too because last year i always had this mental hurdle like i do with every team built that way of they just can't score enough points And coming into the season, I had no clue how they were going to score these points because you lost your best bucket getter from last season. Well, they figured that part out. And so now you have the ability to go hold a team to 64 points in a game, one game, and then light it up the next game. It's not going to be consistent on both ends of the floor. They have been very good offensively, as I just mentioned, but this is the kind of thing that can get you multiple games in March because they don't have one way to win. They're a really good offensive team whose defense kind of comes and goes, but it can be elite at times. Mm -hmm. So this is a, I love this formula. I'm, I'm all about this. They're so fun to watch. Yeah. And, and we've talked about the Shaka box and like as fun as this team is to watch on the floor, he's equally as fun to just watch over there on the sidelines. Um, You know, every year there's a team that I like that probably won't be together in that form when they could be for one reason or another. Usually it's the NBA draft. Um, Cam Jones is probably on his way to the draft if he wants to be because everybody on this team could come back. Like there is there the, the only senior on the roster. There are two seniors on the roster. They are combined averaging 1.3 points, 2.1 rebounds and 0.7 assists. So the point being is that this team is good. This team is good now. This team could be really, really fun next year if they stick around. And now it could just end up being that we're kind of asking the same question that we were this offseason that, okay, who's going to replace the scoring load of Cam Jones? Um, and maybe they just don't get as lucky as they did this year in terms of trying to replace what Justin Lewis was doing. Can you imagine if Justin Lewis was on this basketball oh team too? Goodness, oh my yeah. gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, something you said that I think is interesting is you know, if, if you told Marquette that they absolutely needed to get a stop, Shaka Smart is their coach. And I like have faith in them to like, not, are, they are not great defensively. This is, this is obvious that like, it is not a Shaka Smart VCU like, oh my gosh, kind of defensive team. But like, it's also Shaka. And I've, I believe that Shaka is threaded through all of his players enough that they will lock in when he asks them to. Yep. And maybe it'll win him a game late in the season um, when the shots aren't going down. We'll see. But they are, I, and and my t- the team I went with, I guess is in- inherently negative especially considering their their recent streak but i like i like how positive you went there i have an honorable mention if it's not your team i want to throw in after okay um my team is baylor ah baylor is exact baylor is who they are at this point um they are clearly not elite they are clearly not anywhere near the national championship team or probably last year's team or three years ago team, the team that didn't get to go to the NCAA tournament. 
Um, offensively, they're good. Their guards are a little inconsistent. They're not as good. I think if I gave you the performances of those guards at this point in the beginning of the season, you might want it to be a little bit better. LJ Cryer has been in and out of the lineup, so that doesn't help either. Keontae George, I think relative to expectation has been fine. Like I'm, I'm not sure he's blowing anybody out of the water at this point. I mean, like there were people picking him to win national player of the year type hype. And that's clearly not the case, which is fine. That's a really high bar for a freshman, um, especially a freshman who is a scorer and, you know, while pretty athletic and a kind of a thick dude as scorers go, um, it's not like he's physically overwhelming like Zion Williamson was. Um, so that's just a high bar for somebody whose main job is going to be to score. Um, and they're not great defensively. I mean, Mike Miles dropped 33 points on their head. Eddie Lampkin, 15 on 7 of 10 shooting. TCU shot, let me try that again. TCU shot 55% from the field, got to the line 23 times. In these last two losses to TCU and Iowa State, effective field goal percentage 59.6 and 50%. Um, Offensive ratings kind of off the charts. Both games would have been like second and third in the championship year in terms of the best offensive performances from the – the, the TCU game would have been first. That would have been the best offensive performance of that year. And the Iowa State game would have been like third or something. So they're just, they're not good defensively. They're fine offensively, fine to good offensively, um, especially when those guards are clicking. But it's just a team with holes. And it's just a team that's not anywhere near as rock solid as the teams of the last couple of years have been. But ultimately, and this is really like the thesis of you, you are who you are. They're a quality team. 25th at Kimpom, went over Gonzaga, went over UCLA. If they hadn't done what they had done in the last three years, nobody would be batting an eye about at what Baylor's doing right now. They're just fine. Um, they're going to be a tough out every single night. They're going to win some games in the Big 12, but they're not elite. And it just is what it is. They've got holes. Jonathan Chamo Chachua isn't going to fill all of them if he comes back. And that's just kind of the reality of the situation. So, Baylor is who they are at this point and they're going to have stinker performances, which is something that those other teams really never had is like mm-hmm. really never had those like kind of lay down and lose a game by 20 and never really be in it kind of games. Uh, and this team just does. And that is, that's okay. And it's a, it's a quality team that's not elite and it's pretty, pretty uh, crystal clear at this point. I mean, the the only thing I would push back on that with is if they find some kind of interior presence at some point, maybe this changes a little bit. But and, there's just and and to be fair, on on January fifth, I'm not interested in holding on to that hope. Right, and that, and that's absolutely fair. It's just you know you've got a freshman that's still getting used to things. Maybe Chamo Chachua comes back and looks like himself. There, there are things that could potentially happen, but you're running out of time here. To your point. And there's no reason to believe any of this is going to get fixed. The other, the, the really concerning thing for me about the TCU game was that's one of those games where if you're going to be that reliant on your guards and that reliant on your offense, you just should never lose that game with the way they shot the ball in the first half. Keontae George, I think he started four or four from three. They, they couldn't miss. And I mean, they really cooled off in the second half. But that's the kind of game that when they looked that good offensively, I thought they they can't they can't lose this game because if they lose that game, what does that say about their ceiling? And sure enough, TCU fought their. I mean, now they were on the verge of blowing them out, and TCU fought their way back into the game and then made the plays down the stretch to ultimately win it. But that part of it was really concerning for me. The other thing I want to throw out there: if we just would have started with this game my All-American team would have looked really good. <laughs> that was the other thing I was thinking about watching Mike Miles and just, yeah, absolutely destroy Baylor at the same time when it was, yeah, that, I was just very disappointed it took this long, but at least we had this game for me to hold on to. 100%. The last thing I'll say is that the Big 12 was about the worst place to be playing and trying to like figure out a couple things. Right. It is just immediate, like every single night. I mean, I saw something on Twitter the other day that like the 12 strongest schedules remaining 
are, are sorry, the 10 strongest schedules remaining, all 10, it's just the 10 big 12 teams. It, that's just what it is. And that is, um, that's impressive. So uh, Baylor is who they are. I will gladly be surprised if they add something else to who they are at some point in big 12 play, but I do not, uh, do not yet see it coming. Okay. Not worried yet. Halfway, halfway home. I want to throw in my honorable mention quick. Oh, right, right, right. Go for Stay, it. Staying in the Big 12, uh, Texas Tech, if this is not the definition of you are who you are, I don't know what is. 0-4 against quad one. 10-0 against quad four. Haven't played anybody else. <laughs> That's quite the resume. Hold on, I got to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go look here. Um, and, and I might even add that it's also who they are. You know, you, you are who you are in the sense that, where's the Big 12? There it is that you also are just never going to have a fun time playing Texas Tech right i mean and, and, and right this is this is what they've played at the time they were they've lost to the 18th ranked team at Kempom the 11th ranked team at Kempom the 29th ranked team at Kempom and the 5th ranked team at Kempom outside of those te- outside of those four games um they d- haven't played a team that at the time of the game was inside the top 152 at Kempom so, so there you go. Incredibly opposite ends of the spectrum. But what I will add is, you know, the Creighton game, they lost by 11. And I don't re- especially remember a ton about that game. Um, I don't remember it being a, a, a blowout. I don't remember Creighton being up 13, 14 for that entire game. Maybe they were. But they lost to Ohio State by seven on a neutral. And TCU and Kansas, they've lost to by a combined nine points. So to add to that, like, Mark Adams thing, you know, the defense is good. It's always not going to be fun to play them. Um, They also just like fall short offensively sometimes. And, but it's never going to be fun to play them. They're always going to be, you're always going to look at the scoreboards, you know, with 11 minutes left. And it's going to be a three point game. It's like, oh, Texas Tech, here they come again. And this year it's uh, Texas Tech and then you look 15 minutes later and they've lost the basketball game so um, that's a good one that's a good one that's they haven't really gotten you know maybe I mean it's impressive I mean is there is there a non-quad one game to be played left for them I mean I, oh, I'm sure there a, is I'm sure there is like there might like let's see yeah home um, against somebody I, maybe I, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm like maybe home against Oklahoma State and home against Oklahoma. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure those would be quad one games. But like, we're talking, they have, they have what, sixteen games left in the regular season. Probably thirteen, fourteen of them are quad one games, something like that. Um, that's going to be quite an interesting. I mean, but I think, I think the ship has sailed on them playing a quad three game, one hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> they but they're probably gonna end up with a I'm I'm care I'm I might have to go look and see like last year if anybody didn't play a game against a because like even the teams that are playing in the MIAC end up with a quad one game and somewhere in there because they wouldn't play the bye game or something. So typically, right, there's something in there from each quad. So but I unless someone kind of falls off a cliff, which I mean someone's gotta lose games in the uh, someone's got to lose games in the Big 12. So maybe that ends up happening, but it could also, maybe it's just Texas Tech that loses games in the Big 12. So um, that one will be interesting for sure. Okay. Not worried yet. Who are you not worried about yet? Virginia. The the the, the Wahoos? Tell um, me why. I'm just not worried about Houston and Miami games. Okay. Yes, you lost to Pitt. However, Pitt is 11-4 and 4-0 and and oh in ACC play. They're actually good. Mm-hmm. Now, how good are they? We can have that debate. But they are not terrible. Don't worry. We're about to. It's coming okay. up here in just a few minutes. <laughs> and the larger point of this is I'm not worried about Virginia because you look at the top of the ACC, Miami is the only team up there that scares me even a little bit. And that's it's the same Miami. Disrespectful to Jeff Capel and Brad Brownwell, by the way. <laughs> Incredibly disrespectful. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll I'll make my public declaration. I'll apologize to him if either of them in the <laughs> ACC. And Miami just went and lost it. And Miami <laughs> just went and lost to Georgia Tech. Now it was a very close game. They could have won that game. It doesn't mean Miami's bad. Miami's been really consistent all season. They're going to mm. be there. They're going to be a factor. 
But, I mean, you just look what happened to Duke. They showed up for 30 seconds and the game was over, like you said at the beginning. Uh, North Carolina is... I saw Brendan Marks tweeting about the fact that North Carolina's fan base can't decide whether Caleb Love is the most important player on the team or shouldn't play. That's not a great spot to be in. Also, who in the world is on the most important player on the team? As in, they need him camp. to. They need to kind of. Ride, I sort of. T- I didn't read it that closely, but I think the idea was kind of they need to ride him to, for them to be at their best. He has to be at the center of it, basically. <laughs> I wholeheartedly disagree with that, but okay. I can show you four <laughs> games this season where I I can show you that that's yeah. not the case, but um, he has to be at the center of things, but not in the way he's usually at the center of the thing. Yeah. So that's different conversation for another day. The point sure. being, I'm not scared of North Carolina. Mm. There's just nobody there. What a crazy thing to say, by the way. Yeah. Isn't that wild? That 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 was low on the list of things I thought we would be talking about on January 5th. At it's least, like, yeah, just casually dismissing them as ACC right. title contenders. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's just like, yeah, they're not really in the conversation and yeah. haven't been for two months. So, I mean, is Duke, is this a two-team race between Virginia and Miami? Do you trust Miami to actually win enough games, even with the start Virginia's had? I just Virginia is not reach. I've I've cooled on Virginia a little bit in terms of where I think they stand in the overall hierarchy. Because sure. there was a point where I was convinced they were top three team in the country. I'm no longer there. I think they're more like top ten. But in terms of the ACC and setting yourself up for a good seed come March, and to have the ability to be successful in March, I still feel really good about them just because I don't trust anybody else in the ACC. I I kid to a certain extent. Um, at some point, I mean, and I'm going to talk about Pitt a little bit more here in a second. But at some point, like, like four and zero is not like. I mean, at some we are we're fifth of the way through the conference schedule mm-hmm. now. It's it's not like I'm at some point. I feel like when bad when when quote unquote bad teams or teams we don't expect to be at the top of the conference get off to a good start that sometimes people just like drag their feet, not necessarily saying that that's what you're doing here, but that people drag their feet on them actually being a contender. And then they're like 11 games into the conference schedule and they're still right there. And like, at that point, if you're there at a, through 11 games, you're part of the conversation. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, um, it's part of what I'm going to talk about these. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not worried about Virginia either. I do think you're, you're accurate and kind of, pointing out maybe that their ceiling isn't quite as high as we thought it was two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago. But um, it's not like, you know, Pitt is off to a four no start. Clemson's off to a four no start. And like Miami's right there, but Miami's also faded down the stretch in the past before. And the other teams on the short list are, have already lost twice. So they're already in a two game hole. It's just something to like, when we get to like even 10 days from now, what does that, what does that Mm -hmm conference conference standings look like but the the wahoos they're gonna be fine it's it's just not it's maybe not as different of a virginia team as i maybe thought it was yeah i still think in general the the theory was correct and you you Mm -hmm. are right that we're we're getting closer to the point where we just need to accept that this is the reality of the standings because there aren't enough games left for somebody to go make up four games or something like that Mm -hmm. we're just not quite i'm not quite there yet sure Somebody's got to do something pretty quickly, or if your Dukes and Virginia lose a couple more games and Pitt and Clemson keep playing well, Miami keeps playing well, all of a sudden those are your three teams and nobody's going to catch them. Right, 100%. Um, my not worried yet team is UConn. I'm glad we got to talk about them. I was going to throw them in there if you didn't. Okay. Um, the depth of the Big East isn't spectacular. The top of it is really good. And I think that's what we've learned in the last... 10 days or so. Um, UConn is, of course, spectacular. I don't think anybody's fighting me on that. Um, And this is really an excuse more than anything to point out just like, I mean, right now there are five, five Big East teams inside the top 28 at Kempom. And I don't know, I haven't looked, so I don't know if that's the most. I would guess it's not, but it's certainly not anything to to sneeze at um, Providence is off to a five, no start Xavier's off to a four, no start. We've already talked about Marquette Creighton's clearly one of the 10 best teams in the country. When Ryan Cockburner's on the floor, like that is there might, I can't remember the last time there was a more night and day difference between a team with and without a guy yeah. 
that's not like a like out of this world superstar than than Creighton with and without Ryan Kaufbrenner. It's pretty it's pretty impressive how important he is to both ends of the floor for that basketball team. Um, not worried about not worried about UConn. I mean, and I've got some stats here that that need to be fixed. So it's not like there aren't things that need to be addressed. But they beat up on Butler, Georgetown, and Villanova. They didn't beat up on Villanova, but they beat Villanova. They beat up on Butler and Georgetown. Well, maybe not. Actually, they didn't beat up on Georgetown. They pulled away from Georgetown, but they didn't beat up on Georgetown. Um, They did beat up on Butler. Go dogs. Um, they lose a game to Xavier. That was a 10 point game. Like Dan Hurley should be suspended for two games for getting a tech there. I don't care. Like after the game, he said, he said that the only thing that he said was unbelievable. I, I, you know what that is, Dan Hurley? That's unbelievable. Like, I just don't believe you when you tell me that. Um, especially when he's openly talked about before that he could be better with using expletives. Like, I don't believe you that all you said was unbelievable and you got a tech with, a minute and 45 seconds left in a two, two what was two, that a two point game yeah it was 71 it was 73 71 yeah and then xavier won the game 83 73 yeah it was it was over after that possession yes the yeah. the, the the vibe of the last two and a half minutes completely changed after the tech you should like if i'm the ad you're suspended for a game is what it is um Then they lose to Providence, seventy-three to sixty-one. Um, when you go into the dunk and you shoot thirty-six percent from the field, you're not going to win that basketball game, especially this year. But recently, with Ed Cooley and Providence, you're just not going to win that basketball game. Um, they still have Creighton and Marquette on the schedule before they get to an easier stretch. So they still have to go go back home to play Creighton and then go to Milwaukee to play Marquette. So it's not going to get easier yet, but it will. Um, a couple things. Andre Jackson is six of 21 from the field to start conference uh, for, in these last two games. Um, Jordan Hawkins is eight of 23 uh, in these last two games. So like those dudes need to get better. That would be very much appreciated if those guys would get better from the field. Um, I'm keeping an eye on Adama Sonogo. I kind of think that Villanova unlocked a little something when it comes to defending him, because that's why that game was close. Cause they did such a good job on on Adama Sanogo and forcing guys like Jordan Hawkins and like Andre Jackson to beat them. And eventually Andre, jo- Andre Jackson hit a shot to beat them, but it took a while. Um, those guys need to be more efficient. They're not getting to the free throw line with really any regularity. I think they're 10th in the conference thus far in that category. Um, so like you really... If you want to win the conference, you can't lose the next two games. You can't go 0-4 against these teams. So, like, the next two games are really important. You would love to get out of the stretch 2-2. Two and two. Um, At the very least, beat Creighton at home because I don't think very many teams are going to beat Marquette in Milwaukee this year. So I'm not sure you're yep. really losing games there. And I also don't think very many teams are going to beat Xavier and Providence right. in their buildings this year. So this is why I'm not worried because I think we're – UConn at the at the expense of UConn we're seeing how good the top of the Big East is even if the drop off is pretty severe pretty quickly um but you know and then the next five of their next six are against after those two games five of their next six are St. John Seton Hall Butler DePaul and Georgetown and five of their next six so like they're gonna get a little bit of a quote-unquote break after these after these next two games but not worried yet there's some things I'm keeping an eye on but I really think the last couple of games have been more about how good the top of this conference is and how much better the top of this conference is than I thought it was going to be. Um, at least how how crowded it is relative to how much, how crowded I thought it was going to be. Um, but still keeping an eye on them, not worried yet though. Here's the other thing. You mentioned not getting to the free throw line. They also need to stop sending people to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. I, and, I've, I don't know. I think it was last podcast after, I think it was after the Xavier game, or maybe it was right before, where I mentioned the one thing they don't do well in the entire yeah. season, if you look at their Kempom metrics, is that they send people to the free throw line a bunch. And then that's exactly why they lost to Xavier, and that's exactly what happened against Providence. I think it was something like 31 free throws Providence shot. I don't remember the number off the top of my head. Now, part of that was, right, you were following at the end, but also just they continued to get 
beat inside. They continued to give up, you know, turnovers turning into fast break points that were free throws instead of layups because you were following people. It's part of who they are, and I don't have an issue with that being your weakness. You got to clean it up a little bit, though. Mm-hmm. I'm still with you in the sense that. A, yeah, you got to talk about the schedule first and foremost because that's the biggest story here. Those are those are two games you can easily lose and then still win the conference. And second, there are still so many things that have to go right for you to beat UConn, and I just don't see very many teams outside of Providence, Xavier, Marquette, and who am I, Creighton, who are going to be able to do all those things. They just happen to play two of them on the road, and they're going to play the next two coming up here. I, yeah, I'm, 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 maybe it was a little bit too much excitement because now it's kind of coming back to earth, but I still expect them to rebound. I expect them to be fine. I'm, I'm right there with you. 343rd in the country in field goals yep. to free throw rate. And that, so uh, that got worse. I think it was in the low 300s when I first checked. Yeah. Uh, um, they're, um, they're last in the conference by, Five percentage points in that category. Mm-hmm. DePaul is tenth at thirty nine point nine percent. Percent. UConn is at forty four point two. So basically, for one of every two um, field goals, field goal attempts. Is it attempts or field goals made? I think it's attempts. I think it's attempts. Um, one of every two basically is accompanied with a free throw. Yeah, that's in in it, it's it's easy to see how much pressure that can put on your offense and your defense because they're the fourth ranked team. They're the, they're the fourth ranked Kempom defense. They're 11th in defensive effective field goal percentage. They're top 18 in both three point field goal percentage and two point field goal percentage defensively. And then they're 283rd in free throw percentage. So not only are they giving up a bunch, but teams are shooting it well from the line against them as well. So that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. And against teams that are good, that becomes more, more of an issue. Not to mention when your coach shoots your entire team in the foot because he gets yeah. a tech with two minutes and twenty right. seconds left. It, it's the way they play, and it's those little things—the mistakes that they're making, both coaches and players—that are then adding those extra three, four free throw attempts a game that are going to cost you against the best teams in the Big East and the best teams in the country. Yeah. The last thing I'll add is that just their wings, I think, inherently. Because Jordan Hawkins and Andre Jackson, like when they have it going, they really have it going, but they also will have nights where they'll go five of 14 from the field that when they're off, they're usually like significantly off. Like it's not like, oh, I kind of stumbled to a six of 14 night. It's I like Andre Jackson against Providence was one of seven from the field and did not look confident and did not look confident. Yeah. So um, that's the last thing I will add. Um, you didn't add, did you, you right? Virginia was your not worried. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Any honorable mentions here? My honorable mention was going to be UConn. Okay, so. perfect. Uh, last but not least, life is good. Where is life good right now? There are so many choices. I almost just went with the purple Big Twelve teams, but I decided to save the it specifically. Purple Big Twelve teams. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. I decided to save it specifically for the fighting Jerome Tangs. <sighs> Because we have to talk about this. I love Jer- Jerome Tang is doing. Okay, I, I said Tang is doing the dang thing. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Are you kidding me? Gosh, I'm such a poet. Oh my gosh. Um, but yes, they, please tell me about Jerome Tang. They scored 116 points at the Moody Center. That is a thing that happened. I mean, you look at you know they're beating everybody incredibly Butler ended up with one of the best wins in the country, which I find absolutely hilarious. (laughs) Very, very bizarre, but that's the world we're living in right now. Now they do have Baylor TCU and Kansas in their next four games. We're going to find out just how good they are here. But the most interesting part of this, and just the fact that they've won so many games and have a couple big 12 wins under their belt. When I checked, I think it was yesterday. Ken Palm had them finishing 21 and 10. And losing every single game they're playing on the road the rest of the season. And still finishing 21-10. and 10. They're almost to the point where they have to self-implode not to make the NCAA tournament. Just because you would hope they win some games at home. And they've already done mm-hmm. so much good work. I understand they don't have great wins outside of this Texas one. And, you know, they're going to get their opportunities in the Big 12. That non-conference schedule wasn't good. 
but they mm-hmm. just beat everybody they were supposed to, nearly came back against Butler, and they've carried it over so far into Big 12 play. Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, I mean, are turning into one of the best duos in the country somehow, some way. And, you know, Marquise Noel did some good things last season, but what he did to Texas was just out of this world. And Go ahead. I, I said it since Baylor won the national championship. Why this guy didn't have a head coaching job, I will never understand. And it got to the point where he was going to be picky about it because he was clearly one of the top choices out there. And he mm-hmm. wasn't going to take a program he didn't feel like he could turn around. I had full faith. I said I thought they were going to be better than people expected, which wasn't saying all that much. I didn't think they were going to be this. Mm-hmm. I'm also not stunned by it because this is the guy that everybody should have been trying to hire. I don't know how many people didn't. He just said no. But he picked the program that you know has some recent Big 12 championship success and has been one of the better programs in the conference outside of Kansas and Baylor. And mm-hmm. here you are. There you are. I think it's – I think people's – in their head, Kansas State of late has been worse than Kansas State of late has actually been, just 100%. generally speaking. Um, but, I mean, 13-1, like doing the dang thing. You know what I'm saying? Like um the the like that might be the the Kansas State Texas game specifically. That might be the wildest like box score for a regulation basketball game I have ever seen. I mean, are you kidding? 219 points in regulation? What? Excuse me? I mean, there are games that will go to four overtimes that we'll be talking about like late randomly in like, you know, Missouri Valley Conference plays like, "Oh my gosh, Valpo and Evansville are not too too not good basketball teams, but um, like like they could go to four overtimes and neither team would score 116 points or 103 points for that matter. Um, just so they're they're said, um, the two teams combined they took 69 free throws, 69. I mean, Kansas State made 31 of their. When you make when you get 31 points while the clock is not moving, yeah, okay, all right. Scoring 116 points becomes much more doable. 13 of 24 from the three-point line. Um, you know, Texas was a measly 11 of 27. Man, slouch. Um, pretty good day from the field for Texas. 35 of 68, 51% from the field. Kansas State laughs at your 51.5%, raises you to 60, 36 of 60 from the floor. Just an absolute ludicrous box score. I mean, Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel were 19 of 31 from the field combined. Um, seven of fourteen from the three-point line. I mean, granted, six of six of ten was from Noel, but um, and then they were nineteen of nineteen from the free throw line. Okay, cool. Great. I was like, if I like, is there a typo? You know, how every once in a while you'll get like a typo on one of these scoreboards, and someone's mm-hmm. got one thousand and seven yeah. points, or there's like thirty-six minutes left in the first half, like you know those kind of things. I, I guess not, but yes, um, it is a, a, as surprising as it is that Kansas State is like truly a factor, just like full stop a factor. Um, it's equally as unsurprising that Jerome Tang seems to have hit the ground running and then gotten up to a sprint pretty darn fast um, as the new head coach at, K- at K-State. They're going to be good. They're going to be good for a long time if this is the starting point. Well, how good of a job does it take to get him to leave? Oh. If in four oh. years, K State has a Big Twelve title, they've been to the an awfully been, good one. They've been to the Sweet Sixteen a couple of times, an Elite Eight, maybe. I, I am. I am convinced. He's convinced he can win there. Seems I, like he was right. Like Scott, the, the I've seen returns. stuff. Yeah, I've seen Scott. Yeah, he was more right than anybody knew. Apparently, mm-hmm. I've seen stuff. I think saying that basically Scott said, "I'm not letting you leave until it's a really good job. You're not just leaving for a job because mm-hmm. he just got to the point where he was too good to just take a job. They missed it. Everybody right. missed their opportunity. Right. I don't think he has any interest in leaving unless it's a essentially a blue blood. Or I mean, going back to Baylor, I could see. But also, I don't see Scott Drew going anywhere. He's got like soon, what, so... fifteen more years. Right. If you wanted him, I don't I... even know. How, it could be more than that. I, I, how old is Scott Drew? That's a fun. That's a good question. That's Late fifties, like... maybe. Yeah. So to, to answer your question, I 
52. Yeah, he's got 20 years, more years if he wants. 20, 20, yeah. I mean, he could coach 25 more years if he wanted to. Yeah. I just – I don't see any – now, of course, things could change very quickly. I, I think this is more of a destination than people give it credit for. I'll, I'll end up by saying that. 32 years old Scott Drew was when he took over at Baylor. 32. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that might – that frankly might say more about just how – bad of a position that program was when he took over but either way incredibly impressive 32 that's crazy we're like losing our minds when a 37 year old gets a job anyways alrighty Um, life is good for Pitt and Clemson okay (laughs) life is really good and life is even better for Jeff Capel and Brad Brownwell. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say because unless the bottom of the earth like just falls off they're, they're they both have jobs next year. Yep. And until and probably about, the year after that too. Right. And and until about two until about two weeks ago, if you asked me to parlay two coaches that I thought weren't going to be at their at their respective universities, uh, it would have been Jeff Cable and Brad Bowen. That would have been a pretty a pretty solid two coaches to pair together in terms of which give me two that are going. To, to be at different institutions for the 2023-24 season. And unless the bottom falls out, I mean, like, and, and when I say bottom falls out, I'm talking like neither of them win another ACC game. Like it, it, like it needs to be that drastic because both teams are 4-0 and like both teams have like won some respectable games. I mean, Pitt has beat NC State, Syracuse, North Carolina, and Virginia. It's not like they got Notre Dame's schedule, right? <laughs> um Man, what a ricochet shot of Mike Bray. Sorry. Um, Clemson wins over Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, NC State, and Virginia Tech. Not quite as good of a of a, of a stretch, but... That's not Louisville and Florida State. No, and two of them were on the road. So um, they those two guys were on the hottest of seats coming into this season, and now neither of them are. And they seem to have... In, and both teams do things that make you feel like, I mean, do I expect them both to go undefeated in conference play? No. I mean, I'm sure they play each other at some point. So like that is impossible <laughs> from that perspective. But also like if you, if you ask me to give you an over under in terms of conference games that these two teams win, I'm like, like maybe I'm getting like, like maybe 10 and a half, like, but still, if you also told me that both teams were going to finish under 500 in conference play still, like I wouldn't be totally stunned, but like I'm to the point where I'd be pretty surprised. I mean, yeah. Clemson's one of the best three point shooting teams in the country. Pitt just kind of seems to be all over the place. Like they just looked like the more physically imposing team against Virginia. They just looked more athletic. Like they were a lot to handle. Um, and then the icing on top things that we've talked about already is that it's not like North Carolina, Duke, and Virginia are nipping at your heels. Like one of them's also four and zero, one of them's three and one, and you know we're feeling incredibly good about all three of those teams. I mean, we've talked at length about how we're not worried about Virginia, but is anyone really all that scared of Duke or UNC right now? No, nope. the answer is no. And so on top of the good start, they've gotten. I mean. There's Miami, yes, and Miami could pretty easily. I mean, Miami could be five and zero if a couple things go differently. Um, but they're four and one. These two teams are four and zero, and nobody that we would have had on the short list to win this conference before the season started is like right there on your heels. The deficit is already two games, and those things can change quickly. But I'm a believer in at some point, like you just have to respect the fact that these teams are a couple games behind in the conference standings. And while we're not quite there yet, being four and O is, and those guys being two and two is a pretty good place to start. And I feel like in the ACC more than just more than probably any other conference, it comes down to just winning the games you're supposed to, because one of the blue bloods fails to do so every single year, right? You talk about this all the time with Duke, the Duke doesn't win ACC regular season titles by and large, because they have weird games where they lose to Georgia Tech. They lose to Clemson. They get run out of the – I still remember when Miami ran them out of the building that one time. They, they're just not consistent, which is where you and I are both very much Team Virginia in that aspect. But Virginia is also having that issue right now. I expect it to get fixed. But it's not just that you're off to a good start. It's that 
at this point, I don't really care who you're playing in the ACC because the ACC is about beating the Syracuses, the Virginia Techs, the who else is down there? The Wake Forest, the NC States. That's mm-hmm. half the battle, right? Where the and it's where usually conference gets decided. And the teams that are doing that right now are in Clemson and Miami. And so, to me, it's it carries going and putting together. I, I don't care who the who they played, and like you said, you know, Pitts actually played some really good teams, some of the top ACC teams. I don't really care who. To, to go to bat for Clemson for a second. I don't really care who the teams are. Sure. The fact that you're putting together consistent performances in ACC play is not only making me confident, right, you're going to get the 10-plus conference wins that really help your NCAA tournament cause, but also that you can hang around at least for a while and give yourself an opportunity that if you can find a way to beat the Virginias of the world and the Miamis of the world and sort of give yourself that extra game edge in those head to heads. You're right there competing for a conference title. Exactly. Exactly. So life is so good. And, and more specifically, life is just good for those two coaches. Life is just good. Like it is (laughs) like, I cannot imagine like, like within like, I bet if you asked Jeff Capel after you had a couple beers and was really being transparent with you two weeks ago, Hey Jeff, are you going to be the coach of Pitt next year? No. Yeah. Now he's singing from the rooftops that he's going to be the coach at Pitt next year. So, so that's cool too, because I mean, we've had that conversation with Capel before that, like if he had just stuck around at Duke, he's probably Duke's head coach right now. And he took a chance on himself and it hasn't gone especially well. Um, You might even say it's gone poorly. Um, So to see him maybe create some, some really firm foundation there would be, would be cool to see. I've got one. Yep. I was about to ask you. (laughs) I was about to ask you, what is your honorable mention here? I would like to also give a shout out to the big 10 hopefuls. The big 10 hopefuls expand, please. Can I read you a list of teams that combined have fewer conference losses than Purdue, Indiana, and Illinois (laughs) combined. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me, babe. (laughs) Wisconsin, Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state, Northwestern and Rutgers. Because Northwestern beat Illinois. Mm-hmm. That prediction's looking pretty good, too. Shout out to you, Chris Collins. I appreciate you. They're right there, baby. <laughs> Got a long way to go, but they're right there. Uh-huh. Just, I mean, again, I still think Purdue is clearly the best team in this conference. Rutgers just finds a way to beat number one teams. It's a thing that happens. You just kind of got to live with it. I'm not worried about Purdue. Indiana. It's just fine. Illinois, it's turned into a train wreck, which is really why this – Illinois is the reason why this fact works because it's just been a disaster in Big Ten play. But the other teams we were talking about of kind of who is the the other teams that could emerge, right? Wisconsin's always there. Whether you believe in them or not, they just somehow seem to find a way to do this. Ohio mm-hmm. State, one of the more talented rosters in the conference. Michigan, one of the more talented cost- rosters in the conference. Michigan State sometimes at least finds a way to hang around, even if they're not a great Michigan State team. Rutgers has been consistent these past couple seasons under Steve Peichel since you know they've turned back into an NCAA caliber team. And Northwestern is the other team in there. You know, Penn State's had a good season so far. The other team we talked about preseason, but the, the sort of that second tier is all there and all playing well to start conference play. And there's this opening again. We're very early. I still think Purdue wins this outright. But I did want to point that out, that it's going pretty well for all those teams that are kind of trying to hang with the big boys in the Big Ten, or at least mm-hmm. who are expected to be. And I guess Purdue also falls into the hopefuls category in the sense that nobody was picking him to win the conference preseason. Mm-hmm. But clearly they've established themselves as the favorite now. But here are all these other teams, you know, undefeated in conference play, one loss in conference play. And as we've been talking about, you're getting to the point where you got to take them seriously because there just aren't that many conference. Now we're not quite there yet, but there aren't that many conference games left that if you can get to six and one, six and two, five and one, you're off to a, a really good start where it's going to be difficult for everything to just completely fall off the rails for you. hundred percent. Um, the other, the other thing I'll kind of float out there, um, same team is first in offensive and defensive efficiency in big 10 play right now. It's Michigan. Yeah. So that's going to be my guess. So, like, that's that's a team that w- w- knows how to win a lot of Big Ten games. So, the point being, 
is that if you let that team get to, and, and granted, it's been, I mean, they haven't played bad teams, but they played Minnesota. They've played a Maryland team that has kind of fallen off the face of the earth as of late. And then they played Penn State. They played Maryland and Penn State at home, but they beat up on both of them for the most part. I mean, they beat Maryland by like 90. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they beat Minnesota by 15 on the road. Um, and like, here's the, here's their stretch. You ready for this? This is their next five games. Michigan State on the road. Okay, that's a tough one. Um, Iowa on the road. Um, I'm not, I don't have any faith in Iowa. Difficult, Uh, but winnable. Sure. Um, Then they get Northwestern, Maryland, and Minnesota, their next three. So, like, if things go really well, it's not all that out of the realm of possibility that we're talking about an eight and no Michigan mm-hmm. team in Big Ten play. Yep. Now, now six and two is probably more realistic, but the point being is that we're not all that far away from, like the the, the roadmap for Michigan to be putting a lot of pressure on teams to win a lot of Big Ten games after their start. And, and, and just in general, the start the, the start to their conference schedule is fortuitous, and it'll get more difficult as things go on i mean they end with indiana wisconsin michigan state Rutgers, wisconsin illinois indiana like that's that's tough um but they only play purdue once they only play ohio state once and so we could be getting to a point that in mid-january it's like okay at some point like you're just gonna run out of conference games if you want to if you want to catch michigan and that's a team that like i said Last year wasn't spectacular, but you know, fourteen and three in conference play a couple of years ago. Um, the year before that, ten and ten, even though that team wasn't very good. Like Jawan Howard does a pretty good job winning Big Ten games. So if he has a team that's figured it out, then uh, they could be hard to catch. But three and zero, pump the brakes a little bit. But the fact that they're first and second in offense, that they're first in both offensive and defensive efficiency in Big Ten play, is at least something to keep your eye on. Indeed. Anything else? That is all. That's all I got too. That's all I got too. I'm looking Please. forward to looking forward to Saturday. I'll say that. Ooh, let's look. That's a good. That, that's a good so, teaser. So many even, good games. I haven't even looked yet. You know what? I'm. I'm hold on. One moment. Stand by. Um, Purdue plays right. Ohio. Purdue plays Ohio State tonight. Yep. Um, just kind of. Well, you lost to Rutgers again because death taxes and. <laughs> um, and now you get to go on the road to number twenty four. Ohio State. So that's tonight. That's the that's the biggest game tonight. Indiana's on the road. I don't know how Indiana did it, but Indiana just got 13 days off in the middle of the season. They haven't <laughs> played since September 23rd. And and I, I guess part of it's because like they didn't have an extra, you know, like Purdue played a game after Christmas before their first Big Ten game and Indiana didn't. But like December 23rd against Kennesaw State was the last time that Indiana played. Um, anywho. Um, welcome to the guy who talks on sports radio in Indianapolis about Indiana's sports teams. Um, there are in, in, exactly zero top 25 matchups on Friday night. You know, it's a slow night when you are filtering top 25 and you just get a bunch of non top 25 matchups. <laughs> I mean, there are none. Um, but yes, on Saturday, you start on Big Fox at, at noon with Creighton at UConn. That's a game that should that that is a top 25 matchup even though Creighton right this second is not is not a ranked basketball team Texas goes on the road at Oklahoma State feels like every big 12 game you have to watch because they (laughs) they're just gauntlet games um Kentucky is at Alabama that's a game that has a lot less steam than like it would have three weeks ago four weeks ago Uh, Kentucky just doesn't seem to show up to games that are against good basketball teams at this point um Duke is on the road to Boston College apparently Duke can get beat by gajillion by anybody on the road so there's that Wisconsin plays Illinois Iowa State at TCU how about that can we talk about that 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 Iowa State TCU game is like we're circling it on the calendar um Xavier is at Villanova at the pavilion Michigan Um, Michigan State Kansas State Baylor man I'm I'm still scrolling (laughs) Kansas State, Baylor, Kansas is at West Virginia, Arkansas plays Auburn, um, at Auburn. Man, is there a good Sunday Big Ten game like there usually is? Yeah, not really. Um, oh, Purdue is at Penn State. That's a good one. At the Palestra. That's, yeah. a, good, that's a cool one. That's a cool game. Um, Ohio not, State at Maryland, Northwestern it, at Indiana. It's, 
like the the best part about conference play is that like there's like none of these games are like one versus three exactly and but i just named nine games that i'm looking forward to right exactly <laughs> and also like four of them that i'm like how is that not a top 25 matchup yet yep it's a very weird uh, weekend that way that the matchups sound way more appealing than the numbers suggest yeah but they also carry all of this weight because of the way conference play started. Right. You know, Michigan State's in the conversation. If they can get that win against Michigan, look at what Kansas State is doing. I think Kansas State's probably going to be ranked whether they win or not. Right. But that's all of a sudden a huge game for Baylor to stop the bleeding and to see if Kansas State can continue. You know, There's just so many interesting – and same thing with Creighton. Can you get yourself back into the Big East conversation by beating UConn? Can UConn stop the bleeding? It, there's so many interesting storylines and kind of consequences coming out of these games. I'm really looking forward to it. 100%. 100%. Um, so good weekend. Um, weekend that's kind of the norm from now until the end of the season, and, which is which is really the best part about, about conference play, that throughout the week, weekend and week out, every weekend, there are big conference games being played. So on Monday, I'm sure there will be something fun to talk about after the schedule that we just laid out. So that's what we'll do. We'll come back and talk about it on Monday. Please subscribe to the J3Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at J3Days Pod. Check out the YouTube. Check out the TikTok. All I'm going to say is to keep your eye on those things because um, if you if you want bite-sized content, subject-based videos, um, kind of snippets of the pod, um, you'll be able to find them in various different forms on both YouTube and on TikTok. So make sure you follow us there. Twitter, Jays for Days Pod, like I said. And we'll be back at the beginning of next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days Podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.